0: Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, heavy country blues keep a-rockin'. Paintings have no color, words don't rhyme.
1: In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories.
0: Hello, hello everybody. Um, I'm your host for today's episode, Tony Slagle. Uh, And always, I'm joined by Doug Cooper. Yo, 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 this is your boy, Doug. And our humble producer, really John. really good with the 20 somethings, Tony. Yeah. Uh, I got gotcha. you. And our humble producer, Jonathan J. M. Rowe. Hello, Tapsters. And uh, today we are broadcasting remotely, but hope to be back in our home away from home, the Vinegar Room Saloon, very soon. On this episode, we're going to take a look at a band that's had more lineup changes than our namesake, Spinal Tap, Fleetwood Mac, <laughs> and their sixth studio album, 1972's Bear Trees. Today is a Doug pick as if you couldn't guess because of the year this album came out. (laughs) Uh, And I'm going to do what we do every episode and ask Doug, why did you pick this album? Tony, I'm extremely
1: pleased that uh, you asked me that question. One of the main reasons we picked this album was because I hate myths about the Middle Ages. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. People call the Middle Ages the Middle Ages, it's dismissive. They call them the Dark Ages to be more than dismissive. But they're talking about something really important happened beforehand with Greece and Rome and the classical period, and then nothing, 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 nothing. And then all of a sudden the Renaissance and the Awake, or the, nothing the Awakening, the Enlightenment. Enlightenment. And uh, everything was good. And that part in the middle was nothing but a bunch of monks hitting people over the head. And uh, the Spanish position and all of that, and uh, that's that's perfectly wrong. Uh, you know, the universities, hospitals, all started in that time. They and no, they didn't think the world was flat. So, um, I've always hated that. The same thing happened to Fleetwood Mac. When people talk about Fleetwood Mac, they immediately think of the album in 1975. Uh, That was unfortunately titled Fleetwood Mac, that gave people a a really good reason to think that was the first album. Uh, I think the Fleetwood Mac fans call that the white album, even though it's not particularly white. No more white. But um, so they started the 75 album when uh, Buckingham and Nick's joined, or they go all the way back to the Peter Green Fleetwood Mac when they were a uh, fantastic, maybe the most popular blues band in England. At the- and what was the name of that first album? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't white. No, you called that one Fleetwood Mac. Ah, just to confuse you. Yeah. So, what we're doing today is we're going to talk about the middle ages and there are, uh, at least six really, really, uh, interesting albums that happened after Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac and before, uh, Buckingham Nicks, And uh, we're, we're going to talk about my favorite of those. This, there's another reason to talk about fair trees. Uh, and, and that is, that's because I'm, uh, I'm one of those people that's reactive. You know how you're supposed to be proactive and yeah. say mm-hmm. I'm a active person where something makes me mad and I, I make bad decisions because I'm reacting <laughs> to something. Um, I, I think it was not too long ago when uh, Stevie Nicks was being interviewed and the subject turned to an abortion she had because of a child she had with Don Henley. And when she, when she said, she said if it had not been for that abortion, uh, there would be no Fleetwood Mac, which is ridiculous because she didn't show up until the 10th album, and uh, that didn't happen until after rumors, so I have no idea why she said that. It it, 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 Maybe she's confused herself with everything Fleetwood Mac has ever done, but we're going to
0: talk about... Well, and Doug, in her defense, she did live with Joe Walsh for a while, so I'm assuming there were all sorts of <laughs> substances brewing in her in her head that have probably made her a little foggy over the years.
2: Oh yeah, one time I was supposed to see her in concert, and uh, they canceled the concert because um, she was high as a she kite.
1: She was
0: funding several cartels uh, <laughs> with, her, with her cocaine <laughs> habit. Well- I did, I did want to say this because I saw this in doing research and I immediately thought of you and what you were going to say about this album. And first of all, this album is very well thought of by people who actually get paid, pay attention to it. But somebody said um, that this is the most engaging album not named Rumors that the band ever did. <laughs> well, that's...
1: <laughs> good. Um, I yeah. think... I, I want to be perfectly clear. I think Rumors is a masterpiece. And I think the album that came just before Rumors is, is an amazing album. I think Buckingham. I agree. An enormous contribution. Well, I've been
2: because i built my life around you.
0: But time- I
1: think it became a more finished band, but I I think I've said this a thousand times before. Nobody needs us to tell them to listen to rumors or there does not need to be one more documentary about rumors. I think that album probably has the most documentaries made about it of any album I've ever seen. Yeah. Other thing is when you watch a when you watch a uh, documentary about Fleetwood Mac, there you are with Peter Green, and all of a sudden Peter Green takes too much acid, and the next thing you know, Buckingham and Nicks are joining
0: uh, Fleetwood, Mac, <laughs> and they just what? skip all the stuff that happened in the what? middle. Well, what's, what's amazing to me about that is that there's, there's such a, there's so many more compelling things, even outside of the music, just compelling things around this band that happened uh, to it, various lineups and why the lineup changes and what happened to various members that to, yeah, you could, to, you could to, almost to, make a six part documentary on it you, you could. And to skip all of that, to just stick to, stick to, from, from Peter Green to, uh, to uh buckle you know yeah. nicks buckingham you're missing all of that really compelling interesting stuff that was going on including well, what happened around this i hour. know like
2: like rumors that the stuff that was swelling around rumors is one of the least interesting things that was going on whoa whoa whoa, whoa
1: whoa 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 jam you used the word documentary
2: okay <laughs> yeah
1: documentaries have a very limited uh audio yeah. novellas have a huge audience <laughs> and rumors is a novella or a soap opera yeah. whatever you want to call it and that's why the essential yeah, this this the seventh most uh, popular album of all time yeah it's it's yeah. enormous and and when you hear it if you didn't it, <clears throat> you would think it was the greatest hits oh, yeah so,
2: well this is this the the this band would be more like East of Eden you know, there's just so, it's, it's an epic if you were trying it to is, write the whole story. It,
0: it, it is funny that uh, when Peter Green named the band after his rhythm section, that's the most consistent part of the band. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's pretty that's pretty telling. I'm, I'm trying to count how many.
1: 1, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 past members of Fleetwood Mac and... <laughs>
0: But these two guys go the whole way through. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Mick Fleetwood's first band, first band of any note, was a band called Peter Peter B's Lunars, um, and they were an instrumental. They were primarily an instrumental band, uh, and they were signed to Columbia. And uh, it was formed by this guy named Pete Barden's, who was a keyboardist, and Mick Fleetwood, who was obviously a drummer in '66. Dave Ambrose was on guitar or bass. Mick Parker was this guy on guitar, but he left before their first single. And then Peter Green was also in the band. And that band ended up becoming uh, a different band when they added a guy to sing lead. Do you guys know who that person was? Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart. <laughs> yep. And they changed their name to Shotgun Express. Um, you know, and before we go
1: much further, Tony, maybe that's a good segue for little game of connections you you picked uh, one of the coolest ones of all Do y'all y'all want to get the
0: rest um sure I, i'll mention that something we mentioned in the zeppelin one which was uh that christy mcvee played in an early incarnation band with robert plant at one point there we go ding uh damon you want to
1: yeah. you want to contribute uh,
2: well, Peter Green was in John Mayall's Blues
0: Breakers. Who, who did, he uh, did he replace? Did he replace Eric Clapton? He replaced uh, Eric Clapton. That's right. Well, that um, takes us back uh, to well,
1: Derek and the Dominoes.
0: How about this? Dave Mason was a member of this band at one point. Yep. He he showed up
1: and, and uh, performed on their most poorly performing album of all. <laughs> yeah, um, he was, yeah, then, yeah you got this great songwriter I, I think he donated one third of a song to the album so yeah uh that's that's he's true Here,
2: here's he's kind of famous for donating parts of things yeah
0: he is absolutely that's right where we did that episode we talked about uh here's a thread through various albums we talked about there's a mellotron on this album most notably on the ghost but uh there's mellotron on this album as we've talked about on see various that's what albums. i yes I, I was we were talking about that JM earlier. said yes. that
1: for the record I want everybody to know that JM didn't let him get by him there's there's a lot more than just that and uh of course that we're
2: probably gonna it's, it's the, the fact that there's still show a, goes on we'll probably figure out that there's more
1: oh yeah there's a band called um uh this this is Spinal Tap and I don't think um I don't think they took their name from us. I think that's just a coincidence. But the <laughs> drummer named Mick Fleetwood for a little while, um, much, much like guitar players in Fleetwood Mac, drummers don't last long in uh, Spinal Tap. No. <laughs> so, uh, what, what we're going to talk about, guitar players, and I'm going to say something uh, I've been waiting to say for weeks. But Fleetwood Mac has almost always been a guitar band, and it has and, and, always had
0: extraordinary guitar players. Uh, that that's that. I think that's, I think that's the key. Is that um, outside of somebody like Lindsey Buckingham's, who everybody knows, I, I don't. I think people who um, don't, you know, aren't quite the geeks or nerds we are about music, don't understand how many unbelievable guitarists have played in this band. Yeah, um, you know? it's like
1: uh, it's almost like.
0: Yard birds, except yeah. yeah.
2: When
1: when when it's yard birds is like a yard where the birds walk until they can fly and right. they come great yeah. things. Uh this band is a band where the birds walk until they join us.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh the, I was yeah, going to say see. what I was going to say is the d- distinction between uh between the guitarists in this band and the drummers in Spinal Tap is the drummer's all die in Spinal Tap whereas the guitarists all go go crazy in this band. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's it's a That's we're saying,
1: ha, ha, people go crazy. Ha, ha, ha. It's it's yeah. a sad it's a sad situation. Um we what what and back to me. I'm I'm sorry I let it stray away from me there for a little bit but <laughs> this album. One, when I first found out about Fleetwood Mac, I loved them. And I walked, it used to be three miles, but I had so much time doing prep for this uh podcast that I actually measured how far I used to walk, and it turned out to only be um half a mile. <laughs> Is it up uphill, uphill in the snow both ways? <laughs> so I used to make this walk it. I can't believe how short it was now that now that I've looked it up, but uh I went and bought a Fleetwood Mac album because I loved all these Fleetwood Mac songs I was hearing about. And the album I bought was Bear Trees at uh, at um, Half Price Books and Records. And it didn't have any of the songs I was looking for. <laughs> but I said, well, you know the rule. If, if, if they can make that good of music on Rumors, they had to have made something good on here. And... Uh, I did fall in love with the album and I've been listening to it, I guess, since I was about 15 or 16. I think it's the first album that shows a sign of a direction. The first thing that that starts to appear about what they could do. And part of that is uh, Christy McVeigh, who, uh, um, yeah, McVeigh, she starts to show, oh, what's this? It's almost like when Justin Hayward joined the Moody Blues, he got, Oh, we got this monster hit maker. Right. And it took her a lot longer. She didn't come out of the gate with Knights uh, in Swipe White Satin, but she did eventually become
0: this hit maker. And uh, I, I, I am yeah. surprised that it took him so long to kind of say, hey, would you like to be a part of this permanently? Because she's, she she's on what? <laughs> yeah, she's on what? Three albums? Three albums before yeah. she becomes a, an actual member of the band. Um, yeah. It, and Jeremy, she, Jeremy, Spencer she drew the played picture of the, on, uh, yeah.
1: She drew the, she drew picture, the picture on picture. Kill House. Uh, oh, okay. Which yeah. is one of my favorite album covers. Um,
2: it is a great album cover.
1: I, it, it just, uh, gives this idea of the innocence and, um, you know, it's a beautiful album cover. And then she gradually becomes the hit maker as they, uh, go. And then on, uh, on the 75, Record when when Buckingham's and Nick's jump aboard. I think she had two of the big hits on that one.
0: Changing all the time.
1: Rihanna was the Stevie Nicks hit, but they had a. She had two big hits on there. So she was building as this hit machine all through all these changes. And one of the interesting, there are more interesting trivia questions about Fleetwood Mac than any other band I've ever looked into. But one of the most interesting uh, trivia questions I found is who sang the most uh, Fleetwood Mac songs?
0: And Is it it her? Of course. Yeah. She's number one. Huh? Wow. Yeah, that, I would have never guessed that. I will say that I find I find her voice gets more and more confident as the as the as she progresses with the band. It's not yeah, quite as I confident agree. on these songs as it is later on. And yeah, I don't I, I think
1: it's a combination of confidence and also knowing what her voice is for. Yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. point. That happens to a lot of artists. Yeah. Christine McVeigh's voice is and songs are for the celebration of love yeah. That's she's yeah, right. the master uh even when she's cheating on her husband with the sound there uh-huh. she is the master of or light engineer i'm sorry if i miss misqualified him I, I can't remember but she is the master of that aren't yeah. we all happy in love right now
2: She was known as a blues singer. I mean, people thought that she was the best blues
0: singer. Uh, and yeah, the Mick Fleetwood actually said she was the she was the single best female blues musician in England. Yeah, we
1: should say for a moment, this isn't some gal that's uh, the piano player. because Hey, you're cute. And if we can teach you three chords, it'll give you something to do. Uh, she's class trained her. I think her grandfather was the uh, organist at. Yeah. What was it? Was it? Um it was like Saint Paul's
2: cathedral or something. It was someplace unbelievable. <laughs> I think it was
1: Westminster, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Um I thought it was you know, and, I thought it was anyway. And her, her father was a musician, so she had little choice about becoming a musician. So she's she's a classically trained musician. Her I think her piano isn't very evident in most of Fleetwood Mac's music, but uh, no. Her, her songwriting is, is definitely there's, well. She
2: she downplays her piano ability. She downplays her whole keyboard ability.
1: Yeah. There's at
0: least yeah, one I, I, song I on this album where I think the piano is fantastic.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, there's one where she comes through like, "Whoa, whoa, is that you making that noise?" Um, yeah, we'll get yeah. there and talk about it. But I I have found that most classically trained musicians don't. Um, are really hesitant to talk about their skill and i think that's because they're comparing themselves to other classically trained musicians um, yeah. maybe
0: they're teachers who were real masters anyway what well, yeah. one of the, one of the things I, I want to just get back to talking about um shotgun express is uh you know that's the band mm-hmm. that peter green leaves to go replace clapton in the in the uh, blues Breakers. but the pete bardens guy the keyboardist who formed that band uh, with Mick Fleetwood left to join them. Actually, the oh, keyboardist on right? yeah on the Angry Young Them album, he's the keyboardist on that, and he then left to form the prog band Camel. Uh,
1: my hope is that there's some rumors fans
0: that jump on this because they want to hear the soap opera. That- so Peter Green joins the Blues Breakers, and then uh- which is the
1: the monster yeah John we, we, have to, we have to set the background that's the biggest blues band in england and at the time yeah also, there's something else you need to understand is the the blues are enormous in england at this period of time yep, yep. very all of those guys come to america and they're shocked that young people are completely ignorant of all so uh, yeah of all these great uh black blues musicians that that are huge in england
0: with gentle as a McVie is already, um, he's already a member of the blues breakers before I believe Peter green joins. He was, I think one of the founding members of the blues breakers, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then Mick Fleetwood comes over and joins us for a little while. Uh, he actually uh, ends up getting tossed out because he's drunk uh, for being drunk. They toss him out of the band, which is interesting considering what happens later with one of the gentlemen on this album. But uh, they uh, John Mayle has some studio time and he ends up giving it to Peter Green for, I think for a birthday present or something like that. And Peter Green goes in and starts recording some stuff. And he asks, McVie and Fleetwood to come in and join him for the recording session. They end up recording, I think three tunes, uh, one called Curly, one called Rubber Duck and an instrumental called Fleetwood Mac. Um, and then later that year when Mick Taylor replaces Peter green in the blues breakers, he decides to form his own band and he wants to pull Mm -hmm. McVie and Fleetwood in this, um, rhythm section he loves and, and, and he wants to name the band after the music, after the instrumental, which was of course named after both of them anyway. John McVie
2: was not the original bass player. Oh, uh, no, he wasn't Mac. Even though. Yeah. Even though his name it's, it's his namesake. He, uh, yeah, he was not the original bass player. He was the, he played on the, the first album, I think like on one or two songs. And then he became a full on member after. Well,
0: the guys for their, loved. uh, his name is bob bruning and he or bruning i'm not sure he's like there when they debuted a lot as a yeah. live outfit bob bruning was the bass player because mcvee was he was hesitant to leave the blues breakers. they were his bread and butter and he wasn't sure but um mm-hmm. they started moving in a direction that he didn't particularly care for and uh more kind of jazzy and so he decided to join go in go ahead and join the band that was what he was part of the namesake for um and so he joins a few weeks after their live performance. And then uh, they're at that same time, they're joined by a guitarist named Jeremy Spencer. Um, and then very soon after that, they're signed with this blues, this pretty hardcore blues label called Blue Horizon. And they released their first album called Fleetwood Mac in 68, which was huge in the UK. I think it hit number, number four. four I think. Number four, yeah. yeah. Um, and spending over a year in the top 10. It just barely broke wow. into the top 200 in the US. I think it was like 198 or something like that. It's
1: um, going to be a continuing theme with this band.
0: What's that? The, that they the do well in, uh, in England versus the United States. Right. And then uh, the hero of this album ends up joining the band, Danny Kerwin, in 68. Um, I think it's worth mentioning at this point probably the bit you want to talk about when you talked about trivia, Doug, kind of probably the biggest song that they wrote that most people don't know as a Fleetwood Mac song. Most general people don't know. And that's black magic woman.
1: I got a black magic woman. I got a black magic woman. Yes. I got a black magic woman. Got me so blind I can't see. Which, even if you hear Fleetwood Mac, uh, in fact, when we did a, uh, we I don't know. Some of y'all may have noticed that there's a, a little bit of the smart Alec element in this <laughs> cast. We've worked hard to get rid of it, but some of it remains. And when we had the uh, trivia contest, we did a "This Is Vinyl Tap" trivia contest, and of course, we couldn't resist name that tune. And we played back "Black Magic Woman" by Fleetwood Mac, and almost everybody there thought it was, uh, Santana Santana, Santana did not change it very much at all. Well, not Very much. Well, It he was played almost Peter Green's guitar part
0: note for note, but, uh, it was, I mean, Fleetwood Mac's version wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a slouch. It hit number seven on the UK singles chart and even, and they played it live even after Peter Green left, uh, Danny Kerwin would sing it. So they they continue to play it. Um, well, and, uh, I, I just got to say, uh, Peter Green's
1: guitar is one that I really really love. And I don't know, Jam might have a comment on this. I can't think of a cleaner guitar.
2: It's clean and it's strong at the same time. It's not like he's... And it's always uh, so
1: appropriate. Every note is... It, every note is perfect if if you um, like blues guitars and you haven't listened to these first four Fleetwood Mac albums you're you're really doing yourself a disservice the, listen to albatross The instrumental Which, that he did—it's on the Doug Cooper 200. Uh, well, least liked number <laughs> one hits of all time. It is it
0: that that song uh is interesting because um it was inspired by a 1957 Chuck Berry song called Deep Feeling, but it was the inspiration for the Sun King by the Beatles. I didn't and, know that one. Oh, really? And, a good one. And, and it holds the distinction as being the biggest selling rock instrumental of all time in the UK.
1: Is that right and yeah. and you would
0: never expect it yeah well, you know what's you know what's really interesting about that? Peter Green had been working on that song for a while, and he said in an interview that um, that it wasn't until Danny Kerwin joined the band that he was able to fi- finish it. He said that, that he adds this counterpoint harmony in the middle section, and that song would not have existed had it not been for Kerwin. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that
1: makes me admire Peter Green the most is how he brings other excellent guitar players on to, uh, on and, and, um, oh, oh well, yeah. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I can't help about the shape I'm in. I can't sing. I ain't pretty and my legs are thin, but don't ask me what I think of you. I might not give the answers that you want me to. Everybody loves that song and they love the lead, and I was shocked, and I shouldn't have been, but I was shocked to find out it was Kerwin that's tearing it up. And well, yeah.
0: And the interesting thing you say about Peter Green is, and you're right, he seems very much. I mean, he brought him into the band. It, it seems like Kerwin is the person who has a problem with the other guitarists. He's uh, he's got <laughs> some personality issues going on. I think um, his his problems run deep. Yeah. yeah
1: and they're, they're way beyond who's playing guitar
2: uh, briefly well, yeah which just brings us back to uh the some of the personalities in this band the, the guitarist in particular peter green basically took too much acid and became a, uh, a joined some sort of strange christian sect that's that's, that's not true.
0: that's not peter green yeah no, it, no, there, christian. no it,
2: it well he's it was just i read kukes. it was a christian group then there was uh, Jeremy Spencer joined the child the Children of
0: God. Yeah, you know, uh, and he, he went off he, to he just went off, show up for a gig. I mean, he went off to a bookstore before a gig at the Whiskey, I think, and they didn't yeah. show up. And then they found out and, he joined this
2: <laughs> this cult. Yeah, they were trying to find him. Books. Yeah, and he joined. Books are
0: kid. bad, kids.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, but he uh, he's still he's
2: still a member of that group. He's still a member of the, the Children of God.
0: Um, just, is he really? I, I I don't want to pass uh, without talking about Fleetwood Mac's second album because it's interesting to me, mainly because of the cover. So their second album was called Mr. Wonderful, and it was released in the as actually released in the U.S. at the time as um, English Rose, and they added because yeah. Kerwin had joined after they had recorded that released it in the U.K. and so they added some Kerwin songs to it, which changed fundamentally changed the way that album sounded um and i think moved them more towards the direction they're going to but the, the what's notable notable about that album is the cover so the first one mr wonderful has uh, mick fleetwood mick on fleetwood. it and he's naked and when you open <laughs> up the gatefold he's completely naked with a strategically placed bush someplace yeah. and then on the english rose album cover it is also mick fleetwood Dressed as the most horrifyingly ugly woman you will ever see. <laughs> it's just bizarre. But both of those You're covers right. are really I disturbing. Just,
1: uh, I just uh, y'all just remem- reminded me of a connection that I can't believe we let slide, which sir. involved Mick Fleetwood. Um, you you remember who he was dating, right? About this time. Oh, who? No. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a hint in the connections with... Uh, George Layla, Harrison? With Layla. Um,
0: oh, wow. Patty Harrison? He's dating uh, Patty Boyd's sister. Well, what's oh, really what's fascinating about that is when, when Fleetwood Mac started moving away from the blues, their label didn't feel like they fit anymore. So they, they sort of came to a, a decision not to be on the label anymore. And when they were shopping, shopping around for labels, the Beatles wanted to sign them to Apple. And partly because he was, at the time, he was Harris's (laughs) brother-in-law. And he'd call up Badfinger to find out how lucky they are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) Uh, Anyway, one of the most uh, notorious Fleetwood Mac stories is the time in Germany when this crazy group grabs a hold of uh, Peter Green and takes him to the big mansion. I guess it was a bunch of... The equivalent of trust fund babies, uh, it, yeah. I think they call it the aristocracy in uh, Europe. But um, they take him, they take him and, and put him on a three-day acid deal. And uh, what what uh, Mick, um, John McBay? He can't even talk about it because he wants to beat the tar out of those people to this day. Yeah. Uh,
0: so that was the end, basically, of Peter Green. I, I I'm fascinated by the fact that. At that time, I guess people didn't realize this, but the same thing happened to Sid Barrett. People were would feed people acid and think that was a good thing to do, and it would fry your yeah. brain. Right. Yep. And Peter
2: Green basically had his brain fried. I mean, he was a good-looking guy, and then you saw him. He died, but within the last year, right? Um,
0: I, think, I think he died recently. I don't remember yeah. when it was, but yeah. And yeah, he's, pretty, he, he he
1: was having trouble with the money, and yeah. uh, he was well he well he didn't want money. That was what right. that's thing. what I meant. It's the different kind of trouble, money troubles that I'm used to. Where he <laughs> got all of this money, and he he feels guilty about having it, and um, yeah. eventually it made the whole rock and roll thing impossible for him.
0: Well, yeah, th- this is uh, this is how big this band was in 1969. December, the end of 69, 16 months after Kerwin joined. So, Peter Green's still in the band. They're voted the UK's number one progressive group of melody makers year in poll. They're outselling the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in Europe in both record sales and concert tickets. Now, concert tickets with Beatles is, you know, that doesn't, that's obvious, but the Stones, they're outselling the Stones. Yeah, we, we outsold the Beatles last year. Um, we did. Anyway, the Beatles
1: didn't tour anymore. That's the point. Uh, but you, it's important, the part that you said, in England, because that this that success had not transferred to the United States yet. Then Play It On becomes really the last blues album. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a, if you like the blues, it's a fantastic album. I, I think it's highly regarded. Probably gets five stars for most reviews. Killen House.
0: Is a wonderful album. Also, uh, mm-hmm. that's the one they're starting to move away from that real blues heavy sound. It's, at a, that it's point. a it's yeah. a big
1: step, and you start to hear Kerwin come in and Jeremy yeah. Sir. Those two guys are are taking some leadership. Future Game is a very good album, too. Uh, it's not as well-reviewed as the other two I've mentioned. And then on the other side of Future Games,
0: we come to our album. Well, and and not to miss just another sort of hiccup or, or soap opera thing is when, when Spencer leaves to join that cult, they talk Peter Green into joining the band again to complete the tour. Um Right. But that that doesn't work out. I, I, there was a lot of animosity between Peter Green and um, Danny Kerwin at that well, point. Danny Kerwin. everybody
2: everybody was having problems with Danny Kerwin.
1: <laughs> well, we, ought, we ought to mention that Danny Kerwin
0: is really young. He is very very young, and yeah, and, uh, yeah. and like twenty two or something. When was he's twenty twenty twenty, over? yeah, twenty two. When the album we're talking about tonight was made so but at this point oh, he he's was even like younger a teenager when he joined yeah yeah so Come that man, tells man. you if you can just can you imagine being a teenager that's so good um uh, peter and you, can well, get you peter know Green's he, he evidently what what happened was he would go see them when they would play around he'd be in, he'd like be in the front of the of the of the show or front, you know, front row of the show, watching him play. He would show up early, and he would jam with Peter Green before the band would go on stage. So he was a he was a super fan. So that's another interesting thing. This guy's not only a great guitarist, but he's a super fan of the band he ends up joining, which yeah. probably also causes some weird dynamics as well. And, yeah.
1: and yeah. Uh, Christine Perfect was another super fan who eventually joined the band too. Yeah,
2: it's coming that's- from the chicken shack.
1: One, one other, uh, connection I forgot to mention is one of Kerwin's, uh, heroes was the same as one of Willie Nelson's heroes. Oh, that's right. Django Reinhardt. Yeah. So yeah, I forgot another connection. This, this will go down and on the record books is the most connections we missed. Uh,
0: You know, I, obviously uh, the, the earlier Fleetwood Mac stuff doesn't, uh, doesn't speak to me in the way it speaks to you guys. Um, but uh, you can definitely tell listening to the way Kerwin plays that he's his influences are wide-ranging.
2: Yeah, very much. They are. Um, they, but, they very much are. He is so
1: good. I'm, I'm going to ask JM a question. Uh, right. I don't know if y'all mentioned about Beverly this before, but in addition to the bass, JM is quite a fine guitar player. In fact, I can see a whole bunch hanging off his wall right now since it's a remote podcast. Um, JM. Yes. Tell me one distinct thing that stands out the most about Kerwin's plan.
2: He has the, the word I'm going to use is phrasing. He has amazing phrasing, meaning that um, it's almost like it's lyric. He's almost like he's singing a lyric when he's playing and it, the sound again with it's, it's, it's very similar to Peter Green's playing where everything is so clear and so um, uh, powerful, but he he's got, he's also got an ability to just kind of just barely touch a string. And it still just makes this beautiful sound. And he's, but his his phrasing to me is, is one of the most, like just listen to the instrumentals on this album. That is, not complicated but it is powerful and strong and there's not a lot of people that could play that
1: part you know uh, everything you just said is exactly right and uh, exactly what i wasn't looking for um (laughs) when i think of Kerwin, the thing that i that that separates him from ever is the vibrato and Mm -hmm. he He doesn't use a vibrato bar at all. He's not a Neil Young. Nope. Guy, you need to, you need to get some videos so you can see him playing. But it's he looks like he's playing a stand-up bass the way he holds this. Yeah. Yep. He, He doesn't hold it to his side. He holds it up and that the head is next to his head. And he's shaking that guitar like nobody I've ever seen before. In order to get yeah. that vibrato sound, he's really famous for. Um, and mm-hmm. you hear that in the in the leads he takes on this album. Oh, it's beautiful.
2: Just beautiful. His leads are absolutely or
1: some of my favorite leads. And he's ever. he's a fine singer. Yeah. God,
2: I did not know he was that good a singer.
1: One of the things I'd really like not to point out is his uh lyrics. We we'll, we we'll probably skip that part.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that you know that's something. This is one of those one of those uh, just in general, with the exception of maybe one or two songs, one of those albums where you just kind of give the lyrics a pass. And and the, and the the best lyrics on this song are from
1: a poem that someone else wrote.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so Jam, you, you had mentioned uh, Bob Walsh joining the band.
1: Yeah, so Bob Welch
2: was, uh, the, I guess he was the first American to, to join the band. He was over There's there. It's a sign of things to come. A sign of things to come. Yeah, he actually um, talked the band into moving to Los Angeles. His contribution to Fleetwood Mac has been so underappreciated. In fact, he wasn't even inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when almost everybody else that had ever played with Fleetwood Mac really? Yeah, know and,
1: that. and there's yeah. a lot of controversy around that and nobody uh, yeah. has a good answer. He thought it was because of conflict he had with... Um, well, he was
2: suing Fleetwood Mac at the time, which he was, had a pretty good Fleetwood.
1: case. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mick Fleetwood and... uh John we say that after Peter Green, Mick Fleetwood, yeah. the leader of Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. The reason that they made it all the way to the Buckingham Knicks uh, success years was because of... Uh, Mick Fleetwood. Bob Welch Bob Welch well, no no I, over I will. into it. well he, yeah was right, Mick Fleetwood's the one that was bringing the people in to keep it going and he was yeah. the one that was always saying let's get up and do it again let's stuff this <laughs> off and uh but he and, and Bob Welch did end up in a huge uh disagreement and Bob Welch thought that was the reason he was not invited to the induction to the Hall of Fame uh, yeah Mick Fleetwood says that's not true um, well, well,
2: they eventually made up at the, towards the end of Bob Welch's life. Um, he died. He actually committed suicide, but he was in all kinds of pain. And this doctor said he was going to die pretty soon anyway. And, and
1: a little background on him. He, he came from Hollywood royalty. Yeah. Um, everybody thought he would go into the movie deal and he went into the um music deal. thing and uh not long after leaving Fleetwood Mac he had great success with an album called French Kiss
0: yep we'll talk about that Absolutely. they did mm-hmm. um uh, you know it, it's it's difficult for me I'm not quite the Fleetwood, act, Fleetwood Macologist you guys are especially you Doug but it's difficult for me to keep track of all the ins and outs here but we did forget to mention that um the Kiln House album is when Chris, uh, Chrissy McVie joined the band officially. She's officially, I believe, on that album. She joined a
1: single member of the band earlier and then joined the rest of the band. Right. That's
0: true. Um, but what's what's fascinating about her, is, uh, outside of stuff we've talked about, is Mick Fleetwood has said routinely over and over again that she saved the band because mm-hmm. they were about to break up when Peter Green left and um, and bringing her into the band full time changed the dynamics in a way that he was able to get everybody back on board and move forward with with the band. So she, you know, yeah. outside of what Stevie Nick says about there'd be no Fleetwood Mac had not been for that lovely incident, it sounds like Mick Fleetwood thinks it's if Christy McVie hadn't joined the band, there'd been no Fleetwood Mac. Well, it I was, think you I'm not clearly sure. say yeah.
1: without any exaggeration, there would be no Fleetwood Mac without Mick Fleetwood or Christy McVie. And yeah. I I don't have I don't have enough information to say this, but I've always thought of Christy McVeigh as the uh, adult in the room when all yeah. these people are <laughs> making records. And and that goes for every every uh, manifestation of Fleetwood Mac from the time she joined. It always seems like, well, there's
0: yeah. the adult woman having her tea over there. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that brings us up to the album we're talking about today, which is which is yeah. Bear Trees. All right. So, yeah, there's a couple of things I just want to mention before we get into the meat and potatoes of the album. Um, and guys, please feel free to uh, weigh in on anything that you know about this stuff, because you may know more about me. But I was fascinated in doing research about this album to find out it was recorded in a matter of days. Okay, they did not spend a whole lot of time recording this. Um, and it was recorded in this uh, in this uh new version of this studio the old studio was in this house out in the i think towards the countryside outside of london that was actually used used by this guy this this um french uh intelligence attache for the british government and he used it to to dub english films into french but it became a studio that was that was popular with a lot of musicians at the time so uh english musicians at the time so uh the Animals wow. recorded there, Deep Purple, The Stones, and The Jimi Hendrix Experience recorded their first two songs, Hey Joe and Stone Free, at that studio. And then it ended up moving to London, and they ended up doing it there. But wow. the other the other thing, I've, I, you guys may know this, because you want to talk about something that would blow the top of your head off as a band. So after they record this, they go to New York to start a tour, and Customs ran their tapes through the X-ray machine and we they had to them. they had to spend a whole night of their first night in the U.S. remixing the tapes in this New York studio because uh, the, cust- the customs agents had to erase the tapes. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Can you that's, imagine yeah. that. Don't have long. long, don't oh, have long like hair.
1: Happening. Don't travel with long hair. That's right. Um, I, just, <laughs> they, I just. They should have been wearing uh,
0: God bless America T-shirts or something. They should have. Yeah. But so so this album. Peaked at number seventy on the U.S. Billboard two two hundred album chart, top two hundred album chart. It's their first, it's their earliest platinum album. What I mean by that, it's it turned platinum, and it's the earliest of their albums to do so. Now it didn't do it till a little bit later, but it did sell. eighty eight, yeah, yeah, it did sell fairly well early on. I mean, pe- people did list it Rolling Stone. I think really loved it, which is a, mm-hmm. a shame. We can't talk about how wrong they were on stuff, right? As we normally get to do. Yeah. <laughs> maybe David
1: maybe well, Stone they wrote the review.
0: Yeah, um, I give it four stars in their initial review. But the one, the one thing I definitely want to do before we start talking about this album, give give a shout out to Martin Birch, who is the engineer on this album, and who the reason I know him is he was the engineer producer for the from. Uh, For Maiden, Iron Maiden, from their second album, Killers, all the way to their ninth studio album, Fear of the Dark. So, Martin Birch (laughs) is responsible for the single best period of Iron Maiden's recording history. He was there for that. So, I just want to give that guy props um, because he was involved in this album. He's done other. He's
2: that Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Rainbow. (laughs) Well, I guess if you Deep Purple. Tony, Tony, does this
1: album sound like Black Sabbath? Because I may have been uh, judging it. (laughs) I've been harsh on oh
0: and it does it doesn't sound like a maiden album either it's uh <laughs> you know uh but uh it's funny when i was when i was looking at this i was like holy cow that's martin birch that can't be the same martin birch can it and i looked it up and sure enough it was so it's uh you know it's funny how these guys he ended up getting a bit of a i think bit of a a, yeah. a reputation for doing metal stuff but um yeah he's involved in this yeah one. He did a pretty good job of
2: keeping the, you know, a lot of albums from this time sound really muddy, especially in the bass, but uh, he did a pretty good job of keeping it.
1: Um, I don't know. I guess you know. if you can keep a heavy metal album clean, you can uh, clean up. Yeah.
0: Anything. I, I, I think it's worth mentioning who's on this album since we've talked about so many different people just to set the record straight. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> so we've got Danny Kerwin on guitar and vocals. We got Bob Welch on guitar and vocals, Christy McVie on keyboards, vocals, that includes um, the Mellotron. We got John McVie on bass and Mick Fleetwood on drums and percussion.
2: This is the first time that Danny Kerwin was kind of in charge of the, the songwriting and in charge of the band. And by all accounts, he was not necessarily a well man. He, it, and, and, uh, he and Bob Welch notoriously just butted heads and, um, even though they both liked each other, they respected each other. Danny Kerwin would just the, the pressure on a 22 year old kid to, to, you know, follow up Peter green and Jeremy Spencer and be the, like the head honcho. I, I can't, you know, I've read all the, every now and then you hear about the, Oh, rock stars have such a cushy life and all that, but there's, there's pressure. There, there was pressure for them to deliver a, 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 a big album and uh i think he did a great job
0: well this is his His this is his album right i mean can we all say that
1: yeah more than any other i i I would say that Kim house was more Jeremy
0: Spencer than um right but i i I, by all accounts i think he it, it seems like he had some Sort of issues, anyway, and that's not to knock yeah. him. It's just that I think he he stro- He was evidently he a very issues. he was a very yeah. very very serious guy, almost to the detriment of ever enjoying himself. It right. sounds like yeah. uh, he thought that, and
2: Bob and, Welch just kind of had this laissez-faire attitude that Kerwin didn't like
1: very much. Might... Well, and, and then uh, it doesn't take us long to find out how he feels about the fact his father left him uh, in jail no, it doesn't. <laughs> I think
0: I think that almost always uh, is a hard yeah. thing for a child. It in fact it doesn't take us long because it's the first song on the side on side one of this album. All right, so getting into the first song on the album, which is song one, side one, child of mine by Danny Kerwin.
2: this is such a good song um it's the guitar playing in it is so incredible uh mick fleetwood's drumming on it Mick (laughs) mick fleetwood is easily i would say he's my favorite drummer in rock you know he he he's just so subtle, but at the same time he just does these rolling things that are just amazing. Like he doesn't hit I've, the snare. I've often. heard
1: he's one of the hardest to imitate because of his. Oh my god, he's impossible. idiosyncrasies. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody says it's because he's dyslexic, I, and I don't. I don't believe that. Um, I'm dyslexic. He,
2: no, he's very. He's not schizophrenic on drums. You well, know, like do you some, think like dyslexia <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, he's tying ty dyslexia and schizophrenia <laughs> together. Um we're gonna get we're gonna hear from the dyslexic
1: Americans. Yeah,
0: um I it'll be I, I'll, easy to find out which letters are from them. This is what I want to say about this song. <laughs> this song is a hard is a hard song for me because it's my favorite on the album. So every really? song after this is I like less than this song. Yeah i love this song this song it's so funny because i've read it described as a boogie like a good time boogie rock song but to me the reason the reason i like it is it's got just a it's just steeped in this weird garage rock sound to it it sounds so garage rocky to me it Um, sounds
1: like somebody that you don't go to see but they're playing at some festival
0: and yeah, yeah you hear this and you go these guys are great. Oh my God. And and yeah. this is and, and, and going back to Chris McVee, her keyboard her, her keys on this, her piano, whatever keys, whatever it is on this on this yeah. song are great. They're they're really great. Yeah. Um and, and I love when Kerwin, there's that bit where Kerwin's vocals and the guitar play together on that bit where it says I miss you yeah. again. I let the yeah. sunlight shine through my eyes. They're playing oh I love uh, that. It's, it sounds so it sounds so great. Um, it sounds like a really mature uh musician songwriter winning and and here's a big tell for me being a power pop guy it's funny because i'm a prog guy too so i like either super long songs or really short songs (laughs) this song is just over five minutes and it does not feel five minutes to me no
2: it doesn't you're right and god just the stinging guitar on this song is i want to
0: say something about the guitar
1: that i noticed um I noticed a long time ago, and I'm afraid it's going to be thought of as an insult. And it is not at all an insult. But people who listen to this show are going to think of it as an insult. But it sounds very uh, Don Felderly to me on a couple of them. Don Felderly, huh? And and yeah. I mean, especially it's a, it's Fender. Mm-hmm. What is it? Which one is it? Felder. Felder does all I, the stink Yeah, he does. he's the guy that played all the leads for uh, the Eagles before. Uh,
0: well, uh, it's not it's not a stretch to say that there is a weird, bizarre Southern California vibe to a lot of the songs on this album, right? That's true. So yeah. it it, may, it yeah. makes sense to me. You know the the one thing we didn't touch on is what the song is about. Since we did mention, oh, it doesn't take long to get to the father issue, but it's you know kind of hard when the when there's the line, you know, I won't leave you. No, not like my father did. That yeah. he's obviously struggling with some things. You know, he, uh, right. yeah. I'm uh,
1: like all of his songs. It's it sounds like it's just dream of consciousness. Um, and yeah. then the. Uh, it also reminds me of. It sounds like someone coming over from England and trying to be American, and, and keep that soul beat a rocking or keep that soul beat a sucking and yeah, country blues keep a rocking. I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking. Okay, this this sounds like us if we went over to England and tried to uh, uh, make the noises they're making, um, yeah. but. I'm I'm with Tony. I absolutely love this song and and the we're, we're not on every song we talk about today we could say this basement is solid
0: because you have yeah great bass player and a, a great Yeah the r- the rhythm section it, it, you can't say anything bad about the rhythm the section
2: The rhythm section of Fleetwood Mac has always been incredible. I mean they oh, it's of all of the bands in the world They sound to me the most like the drums and the bass are the same instrument. Exactly
0: played. Well, hence the name of the band, right?
2: Yeah, Yeah.
1: it's it was such a fortunate. The only two guys that made it all the way through, and the two guys that give signature sound. You can the this album sounds like you can tell this is the same band that did uh, Rumors, even though Yeah. yeah, that's years away and. If you want to know how great this rhythm section is, listen to You Make Love and Fun. And you can imagine, okay, take the guitar out and take the vocals out. I could listen to this for half an hour because it is so uh, enticing. And and, and we're not going to be able to say it every song, but they make make this Uh, album. So kids,
2: if you want to learn about what makes a great rhythm section, listen to uh, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, if you're a bass player, or a drummer. Listen to those.
1: Okay. Funny. And there's hours and hours available for you. Yeah.
0: So yeah, that's uh, you know, it, like I said, it's a little difficult because every song to me pales slightly in comparison to that opener because um, it's just such a great song. It kind of hits me in all my all my right places. All right. No, the next song is "The Ghost" and this is a Bob Welsh song.
2: All right, here's what I'll say about this song. Um, <laughs> you know, when you when you go to the opera or you, you watch an opera and there's the recitatives in the, in the, the song where they're just like saying stuff uh-huh. and then before they get to the aria. To me, the verses in this song are like that. But when they get to the chorus, I love the damn chorus.
0: Oh my God, that's so funny. I that the chorus saves this song for me. It does. It's it's, I, it's so voice. funny that you said that because I, I wrote that exact. I wrote that, that the chorus saves a song for me. This yeah. this is a weird song. The beginning reminds me of Little Green Bag by George Baker. You know that song. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like that to me, and then <laughs> and then and then it it kind of morphs into this down market traffic thing going on you know it sounds like a yeah. like a low a lesser version of traffic and that's the mellotron that flute, plant.
1: i guess is as mellotron, a mellotron. Yeah. it's got to be because there's just, no flute on the yeah, album no it's flute on the album um, um hey, uh, yeah. i i i wish there had been a place for me to place a bet on whether or not tony was going to compare this song to traffic because I I had such a level of certitude. Well, is it that
0: is it that much of a stretch? I thought the no, first thing that came to my mind was, was I don't take traffic. I don't take wild bets though. So this song the ghost is uh Bob Bob Walsh wrote it about the house that they all lived in uh around I don't know Benefold I think which is in Hampshire UK. Uh it was evidently very spooky so that's hence huh. the subject matter of this oh, yeah, uh, the yeah. band living and, and uh,
1: it wasn't the ghost to blame
0: for all the problems that living together caused number 3 homeward bound this is the this is a christy mcvee composition
2: You know, I'm, I'm gonna, I love how it starts off with that percussion thing and, and just like those spare piano car, chords that are getting thrown into it. Um, and I think that sh- this is a great song. I don't think that Christine McVie has the voice to pull it off. I
0: agree with you. I think her voice sounds tuneless on the song, and I know her yeah. voice is not tuneless. Yeah. I don't know. I, what-
1: I, this is Christine McVie doing what she's not supposed to do. This
2: yeah. I, I need some it's a great song. It the, really, see, a I,
1: guitars, the guitars, um yeah, the the way the guitars express what her voice is supposed to be expressing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's because of her vocals. This song, I, I agree, the guitar the guitar work on this whole album is great. Even songs I don't care for that much, it's great. But this song just kind of bores me in general. Well, there's a problem with it. Yeah.
1: Um this this song is one of those where you have incongruity between the lyrics and the song. If you yeah. took the lyrics of Give Me Shelter, yeah. You took the lyrics of Give Me Shelter and put them into this song and had someone with a disdainful voice sing them. Mm-hmm. Great tune. But this is about I wish I was home right now. Right. I had my sleepy time tea and my yeah, right. right, and I was about uh, half an hour from going to bed. Yep, yeah, she's singing like the, uh war, murder. <laughs> it's, well, the the ghost of death is flying over our city, and she's singing about. I wish I was at home going. Yeah, to bed. Yeah. yeah, and her voice well, is wrong. This is well, right. and, and, it, and it's, it's, it's and really,
0: it's really it's really you know juxtaposed to the other song she sings on this album you know yeah which, um, which is exactly guideline. what her voice is for. A- absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. so that's yeah, funny yeah. i i was i was i was worried you guys were going to jump on me when i said that no, no. But, i like um, the song it's a good tune <laughs> i love this the guitar song, but...
1: playing is wonderful but everything doesn't match particularly yeah her...
0: <laughs> that's her uh, voice and the lyrics i love don't her match, voice and...
1: but it's not for yeah. this
0: <laughs> yeah that, that's a good point Doug because it, I was trying to figure out I was like I know I like her voice I know she can sing what's going on here this is very odd that um, yeah. it, it just doesn't sound right I no, don't want right.
1: to see another aeroplane seat or <laughs> hotel room
0: ah! yeah it's, it's just, it just not something you get I just want to be in
1: my about. rocking chair <laughs> yeah
0: well I guess the good thing is we don't have to worry about the vocals on the next song. Fourth song on side one, Sunny Side of Heaven. Which is an instrumental, a lovely, me, lovely, this is, lovely instrumental. Oh it's pretty close God. to this my favorite of my, song on the album. It's probably it my, favorite my favorite. Song favorite. I'm on not the sure. Album. Yeah, it, I, it's it's
2: one of my favorite instrumentals ever. It is so good. Um, and, this is a it,
0: Kerwin song my, Well, this is when you were talking about his. Fr- yeah, thanks, Doug. This is this is Kerwin when you're talking about Danny Kerwin's phrasing. Yeah, um, this song Just, showcases that. It's so melodic and so. I don't know. I mean, I'm not i I'm not a musician, but I know, just... it's,
2: but I don't know how you come up with stuff like this. It's so composed and it is so um I,
1: t- I tell you, those of so you beautiful. If you haven't heard this song, this song should be on a repeat loop. Yeah, You need to take it out to your hammock on a beautiful day and turn mm-hmm. it on with your headphones and drift in and out of sleep listening to this song for about two hours and you'll be in the, in the title world yeah. when you
2: leave the title is perfect the sunny yeah. side of heaven because that's exactly what it sounds
0: like yeah it's so sweet and, it is um, that's a that's a good that's a good description of it because it's yeah. uh I, I i said that it's just i said lovely but sweet's even a better description yeah. yeah and, and, and it's of course we have and, the yeah. the band is supporting him perfectly oh, yeah it's God. a um, this is what instrumental should sound like
2: yeah you're right it really is it really I mean, it's not like they tossed this off and said, okay, well, we, we can't come up with any lyrics. Here's a filler. So was, yeah. And I,
0: I believe they continued to play the song after Danny. I think uh, they played this all the way through the Rumors Tour and Lindsey Buckingham uh, played it. I can't imagine. I don't know what that would have sounded like. I, would, I can't imagine what that would have sounded like. Well,
1: it's, I'm uh, got a hopefully very distinctive. Put, sound. Uh, I can hear a nice Lindsey Buckingham version of this just as long as he didn't try to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's another great Fleetwood Mac guitarist.
2: He really and is. And he
0: didn't join a cult yet.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, all right. So now we flip the album over. And song one on side two is the title Gotta track of hit. the album Bear Trees. Bear Another Danny Kerwin song.
2: This sounded so, like it came from a great
0: jam to me. So and, I yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um, I here's what I'll say about it. You know how you were talking about um you were talking about the ghost and how the chorus kicks in. I, I don't feel that way about this song, but I, I do feel that the, the intro throws me every time because it's kind of repetitive, but once yeah. the song kicks in. It, it really gets going, and I and I like it significantly better. The guitar solos, there's a couple of solos on this song that yeah. are out outstanding. I don't know how else to oh, describe yeah. them. They're there's just they're, they're other they're otherworldly. they're otherworldly. They're um, otherworldly. Yeah, this uh, this is a song that was inspired by the lovely elderly woman who closes <laughs> the album out, Mrs. Yeah. Garrett. <laughs> And she had a poem called Thoughts on a Gray Day, which is what she reads yeah. at the end of the album. And in that poem, there's a line that says, God bless our perfect, perfect gray day with the tree so bare, so bare. So there yeah. you go. Name and of the is, song,
1: name of the album. And it's the album what cover. A, and what one
0: of my yeah. favorite
1: album co- This This album is it's so a great album cover. Every time it's winter and it's a little a little foggier, yeah. and I see those bare trees. This album pops in my
0: mind right away. Yeah. You know they did I some mean, weird they did some weird color saturation with that album and uh, on some other releases of it and it ruins mm-hmm. the way the the original album artwork because you're yeah. right it is it is such a sparse and beautiful album cover even the even the font yeah. used on it is perfect yeah you know yeah. it's
1: it's interesting well, I mean because <laughs> uh, I know Kerwin's trying to put together a little bit of a, a theme here trying to trying to shoot for a, a a uh, concept album, but no nobody else is really participating, uh, including himself yeah. sometimes. But uh, that that cover, I think, is exactly what he was trying for, uh, and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a great match with this album. One of the things that's weird about this, um, <laughs> the chorus is
2: the sparsest part of the song yeah you notice that it's like the they, they there's that um guitar riff that comes in that and then they got the harmony that comes in on that guitar riff and then the vocals come in. but there's like no bass and, and the drums don't do anything spectacular they just keep the same beat but then the rest of the song, the verses and everything, is where the whole. <laughs> I mean, it's just a weird song. I mean, I love it, it. is, and so, it, so. and
1: and it sounds like a really happy. Solo, solo yeah, song. and and it's and the lyrics, again we have a
0: problem with the, the lyrics not matching too, too well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, moving on to song number two on side two, "Sentimental Lady." I guess we have a hit this is here. a bob Wells song yeah um
2: it's the one that he redid on um
0: french, french kiss, kiss that was and overproduced. this is so much better than that oh my god it is so much better than <laughs> so that better. that that version of it which is the version i think everybody and their brother knows um yeah that's is, the one that got to number six i think it it uh uh, it Actually, yeah, number ten on the U.S. pop okay. and adult contemporary charts. It, it, it that that version s- is so saccharine and sounds so yeah. nineteen seventy seven. I mean, it, you couldn't sound more nineteen seventy seven yeah. than that song, unless you do Muskrat Love. But uh, you know, <laughs> um, it, 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 it's it, it's uh, it's unbelievable. This and, one and is that- the
2: way, it's supposed to.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and the fact that it's he not, needs to be, he's yeah. got he's got um Buckingham and uh and Christy McVie on it are on the version recorded in 77. But Lindsey Buckingham yeah. plays guitar and uh is in charge of he was in charge of the uh orchestration, the arrangement or whatever. Um I, I don't know what happened. The vocal good, the vocals on it aren't no aren't anywhere near as good. I mean, when I heard this on this album, I was blown away because like I said, I knew the song. Yeah. And I was like, "Holy cow! This is a good song." What well, uh, Yeah the
1: uh. the the thing about this, um, that, and for a guy my age, there are this is that period in the seventies where a lot of really good music was damaged by right. the things that were popular at the time. It, even Van mm-hmm. um Got had some stuff damaged by that, and I think about Jefferson. Jefferson Starship had some wonderful songs that were severely damaged by these things. And uh, that, that record, I have that record, French Kiss, um, by Bob Welch. Uh, they're great songs on that. Uh, Ebony Eyes, there's a lot of those mm-hmm. really good, but they were damaged. It, so it, the, it's just overproduction, the production. It's the same as like, the, uh the, watching a movie for that period of time where the clothes are distracting cuz they're so horrible.
0: I well, yeah. you're right. Uh, this is the Sansa Belt slacks of music. What what I don't get is why you have got his vocals on the song are so great on this version and then they yeah. do whatever they, they they like bury them in in some sort of bizarre I don't know, double tracking or something in the 77 version. I don't get that at yeah.
2: all. Well, um, and they, they, they bury the vocals and they put up this harmony that has absolutely nothing to do with it. All I want is you by, I mean, and Christine McVie's the one who sings that on on the, the seventies being the well,
0: hit version of it. The, the other thing is they, this is one of those songs that to me, at least sounds very early seventies, California. And that's completely stripped from the re-recording of it. I mean, completely stripped from completely that. Stripped. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's got a, that studio 54 or whatever.
0: Yeah, it. exactly.
2: You can tell that's it's a Bob Welch solo too. that guitar solo has that Leslie effect on it. Or I, I guess a lot of people call it the rotary effect that that was huge in the, in the, 70s i mean there's a lot of songs that have that just sparse guitar with a rotary effect on that
0: that version that re-recorded version is you could easily and i'm sure it was see it on one of those k-tell loves love songs of the (laughs) 70s uh, (laughs) compilations um it's it's I I don't know it's remarkable why he would do that to his own song. He re-recorded it again l- later too. He released yeah, an I album I think called Beyond Fleetwood Mac or something along those yeah. lines. I haven't yeah. heard that version. I don't know if it's any good or not. But
1: there's there's two things that stand out to me on this version, and I would recommend everyone purge themselves of the other version and just version mm-hmm. version into this one. Um, there's two things that stand out one is Christy McVeigh singing the background is uh, enchanting she just makes me uh, crazy for her voice yeah. and this this is a very well constructed song it really is a verse that is a wonderful piece of music then you have a pre-chorus that is a wonderful piece of music and yeah. then you have a chorus that is a wonderful piece of music and all three fit there seamlessly, even though they're not alike at all. Oh, um, no. I'm, I'm amazed by how good that is. One thing I, I think his voice sounds a little bit like Kermit
0: on this uh, song. I agree. Um, can, I, can I say something to you about that? So I was listening to yeah. this album yesterday when I was driving my daughter someplace uh, oh, actually, I, I take that back. It was this morning. I was driving her, drop her off uh, with my wife, and uh, she goes, "This guy sounds just like Kermit the Frog."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that.
0: <laughs> so you're, you my, my, are
1: safe and warm. You're, you're I don't know.
0: I, I, I it does no, bother right. me, but it does. I don't just. Dis- I get that. I does. I I don't disagree with you necessarily, but I li- I like his vocals on this, and especially compared to the version that he did later. Yeah oh god well it's yeah. a it's it's a very interesting song yeah beautiful song it's beautiful all right well there you go guys i hopefully some of you will hear this song for the first time and go or this version go oh um anyway moving on to the next song danny's chant which is of course by danny Kerwin. Number three on side two how about that guitar intro guys i love it i
2: love it love it love it i love that wah-wah weird oh, thing. so
0: the whole song's dripping with wah-wah
1: right i, I know yeah and it's looking from. this is this, danny um given yeah. gi- given a place to do whatever he
0: wants and he does yeah yeah. And he well, does a great job. And uh, it's not boring one bit. It's in- essentially another instrumental, except for his yeah. weird little scat- scatty chanting thing going on. But if you compare yeah. the two instrumentals, it just shows you the range of this guy. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're
2: right. I know he can totally <laughs> 22 years old and he's doing this stuff. Isn't that yeah. amazing? Yeah, yeah. Just, um, you
1: know, it's, it's just this. Cra- this is, uh, I guess this is another maybe my fifth or sixth guitar album I've picked. And yeah. it sounds weird to hear that Fleetwood Mac is a uh, guitar band. Uh, just yeah. come listen to this. No, yeah. Oh, and I don't Mick want to say anything Fleetwood's, against uh, uh, Lindsey Buck. It knows he's a fantastic yeah. guitar player, but he never yeah. center stage the way Kerwin does on this album. Yeah. Nope.
2: And when he does try to do it, he's not. He's not as good as uh, not, not like, as like, he uh, doesn't have uh, as, as many afraid. noises to make. Yeah he's lindsey buckingham's a little bit more in a box than than danny Kerwin is the drums on this i mean it's the whole song is almost tribal
0: and well uh, yeah it's it it does i heard someone describe it as like almost voodoo-esque you know yeah 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 uh the drum yeah, um
2: he is again i'm going to say this again he is probably the most interesting drummer in rock. He, he's just so understated, but the the bedrock that he lays down behind songs are just so full. I mean, you, you could almost do anything on, on top of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, I love this song yeah, and it's got that, yeah, the, the, the weird vocals on there that I guess, you know, Danny's chant pretty good chanting uh, description. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. So moving on to the next song, we briefly mentioned it when we talked about Christy McVie's uh other tune on here. This is the one where she does as Doug said, does what she's supposed to be doing. This should have been a single. This song. I'm sorry, guys. This should have been a single. I have, I, no, I idea have no idea. Why it's
1: not. Here we are yeah. again, shaking our heads. How is this not a hit?
0: You, you know what was was when I was listening to this. The most recent time I was listening to it, it struck me how much this sounds like. Um I, I, well, Bear with me on this because it's a, maybe a bit of a stretch, but I could hear Aretha Franklin singing this song, but it's also got this this kind of country, it's like country fight R and B. Like there's some mm-hmm. like Southern country, Southern California country stuff going on, but just the, the phrasing of it sounds like an R and B song to me. You know, but yeah. well, well, the end,
1: Uh I was thinking, you know how you can tell I'm not playing on this song is when they get to the end and it starts that little double time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cowboy deal. Yeah. You're right. If I were playing on this album. I would have gone. Yeah. <laughs> it really needs it yeah it
2: does do that does that's do funny that kind of, uh yeah it's got kind of a hoedown
1: feeling it's, at the it's end of a, it. but it's the rest of the song's not really like that it's no it, it's her yeah. sweet beautiful voice no she she sounds I, great I on it so in love this again. is her best this is her
2: best song in these days i mean it, and if She's, you want to see the direction that Fleetwood mac's gonna go this, you know, this, you
0: know the, you're right. You're absolutely right. This, this, this is a uh, foretelling of things to come. It is. Yeah. It's the best next shot be of on the future the, on the album.
2: Yeah. This could be on the second Fleetwood Mac title album a, or rumors. I mean, either one, it would, it would and, probably fit right in.
1: But I think for the rest of her career, she puts about two of these jewels on each album. Uh, yeah, a lot of them right. are ignored on the albums between this one and rumors, but. Yeah. It's something to think about. I think it's really fortunate she's always been with a band because I don't know how many of these you could listen to in a row with right. feeling like you just uh, drank a uh, sweet of a saccharine. Um, it's You're just, right. there's, it's too, you can't be this yeah. in love for uh, 45 minutes. Um, yeah. The, the way she just pops in and out is, is yeah. one of the keys to her success, I think.
0: Okay. Well, speaking to me, speaking of a Southern California country-esque song, we've got Dust.
1: Stiffening darkness Left alone To crumble in our supper at night When your swift head
0: A Danny
2: Kerman song, yeah. This is the most hippie sounding song on the album. Um, that's not I'm not trying to detract from it, it's a pretty short song, too. But uh, I mean,
0: doesn't this sound like something that came out of Southern California around oh, the same time?
1: Yep, definitely. No question, definitely. And um, this this is an interesting So, all I don't know if JM looked up the chord. Uh
2: yeah, the chord progression is weird.
1: Yeah. he does unpredictable chord progressions, and yeah. one Things that this song I I listened to, uh, I listened to this song more than any of the others in preparation because I felt like there was more there that I didn't have my head around. But most of of it, I felt pretty confident about from years and years of listening. But this song continues to do what you don't want it to do. You're (laughs) it to go into this direction to bring a little You're resolution right. and to make a nice yeah. little tune. and then it, does, it doesn't it goes do it. and does this other thing, which like, like so many other yeah. songs becomes well, it's more like interesting it, over time. Yeah, it comes in, um, and, in, and 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 the lyrics on this one are really good. Well, they're based yeah. on a poem. <laughs> they're from like, Robert Books poem. Yeah. 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 Yes. But the name of this the song is Dust, and the lyrics come from a poem called Dust from 1920. And, Maybe
0: that's what uh, Danny Kerwin should have been doing from the get-go, is pulling his lyrics from other people, other sources.
1: Oh, or yeah. <coughs> uh, instrumentals. But yes. Figured it out before the album ran out.
2: So, yeah. yeah, that that's it's a fitting end, but even though the end is... Well, it's not the end, J.M. It's not
1: the end. I know There's one I more song, it. which should have been a single. Well, it, it's important to say that dust is about when we are dust. Yes, yes. Um, which uh, there's a lot of that on this album. Well, R- Rupert Looking at bare trees and this right, 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 right.
0: Yeah, this winter is the time where everything dies. Well, and- no, absolutely. I mean, that was kind of the theme. I think he was trying. You talked about a theme That's the theme he was going for, and and it, it you know it makes sense when the guy who you know Rupert Brooke was a British wartime poet. So he was very much, you know, wow. talking a lot about of
1: dust this. getting made.
0: That's right. That's right. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Anyway, moving on. I'm sorry, Doug, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say the same thing. You are the, the next. Uh, the next thing is a poem to close it
0: out. And it, it touches on the same theme too. Right. And, and what's interesting about this is, as I mentioned before, this was a woman who supposedly lived near the home they were all living in. This is yeah. Skerritt.
1: I hate my God for perfect love and peace. I'll hold her tight and always as, and or, as always mine forever. Love, love. So great. So divine. Trees, the gray day has changed everything.
0: I don't know what her first name is, but that's call her
2: Mrs. Scarlett.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You get, you get <laughs> and, that age. You, your first name is Mrs. Here's, here's the interesting thing about this particular recording. So, um, supposedly it was recorded by Mick Fleetwood in her own home. But um, later on, Bob Welch makes some comment that it was all a put on in some interview from 1999. I don't, I don't get that from this. I don't know where he gets that from, but listening to this, there's nothing that sounds put on about this at all. It sounds like Mick Fleetwood or whoever it is, is recording this old woman in her home. Yeah, she, but- she is struggling with reading this and worried that she's not doing it right, which adds to yeah. the charm, to the charm of it. You know, yeah. if there is charm to it, that adds there to the charm is. of it. There's and, much uh, charm to it. and I think that, I think that it's interesting. And I tried to find some more information about that to see where he was coming from, but it it, it, I don't, I don't think he's right because there's nothing listening to this. There's nothing that you can even scratch as a surface of it. Not being well, sincere.
2: There's a, there's a male voice in it. That does that not supposedly. Sound like, does it sound like Mick Fleetwood? No, it sounds like to me, like an older gentleman is to me. It's like two people, like she's reading a, a
0: poem over tea with the, gentleman caller that's
1: just you stereotyping the british jay i guess so yeah
0: um well it maybe it was because i you know i don't know if he did record it that's just what i've read in various sources is he was the one that went to her home and recorded yeah. the poem but um well you know, it's, I, it's, it's a if nice if it's, way to if, end if it's the album.
1: something um that makes it even more amazing that they pull <laughs> yeah. <off> something that <laughs> sounded
0: <strange. Yeah. laughs> The, uh, uh well, i don't think it is and i and maybe i, I, choo- I maybe i choo- choose to believe it's not
1: i, I would think it was I, I don't i see no reason to do that there's no there's no
0: nothing gained by doing it well especially right. when this poem was the sort of the inspiration to the the name of the album and the title track right. Right. it seems like if if that was the case that that's that's the big joke a big inside joke that nobody gets. Yeah, it, it's right, right. I doubt they had their act together to pull off something like that, especially as quickly as they
1: recorded this album. Right. Yeah. Uh, nothing about it makes it seem like um, the Beatles walking around with a uh, coffin nail in uh, Paul McCartney's fingers and uh, barefoot and uh, 28 <laughs> if on the license plate. I don't think we're there. <laughs> One thing about this, there used to be when, when, um, uh, uh xm radio first came out there was a station that would mix classical rock and roll jazz all kinds of music it would oh yeah with uh spoken word poetry or prose and it was magic and serious disorder yeah. tell me what it was it was a program that was on some it was unbelievable everything had a theme like it. the way it worked together yeah. was Amazing! This
0: reminds me of that, and I love yeah. it in music when they. Well, play. it's it's funny because there's so many people. Well, I shouldn't say so many people. There's a contingent of people who hate this being on the album, and I Those think they're. I people. think they're. I think they're missing the point. They're missing the point. But yeah. they are, and and and, and I want to quote one of
1: our fans who says, uh, "If you don't like it, you're a horrible person." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a great album. It really is.
0: So. I think it's worth mentioning just kind of the sad way yeah. that Danny Kerwin ends up exiting the band. He starts to unravel a bit. He starts to drink significantly and he gets estranged from almost every member in the band. I think at one point he the only person that talked to him was Mick Fleetwood. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh and things go, get to a head backstage at a show, I think it might have even been a college show, like they're playing at a university or something in the US, promoting this album. And he yeah. starts arguing with Bob Welsh about tuning their guitars. That's what the argument yeah. starts over. And he flips and uh, he's drunk. He flips. He's mad. He gets angry. He starts banging his head and his fists against the wall. He smashes his Gibson Les Paul, trashes the desk dressing room and refuses to go on with the band. So he ends up watching the rest of the band struggle without him um, from the, um, the from the mixing band. desk, watching him. You know, um, Bob Welsh is out there trying to play Kerwin's parts, something he's not oh, used God. to. And yeah. and it's a it's an absolute mess. So afterwards, back at the hotel, the band gets together and has a band meeting and decides we can't do this anymore, and they kick him out of the band. Yeah. They well, this won't him. this won't be the last time we talk about the unfortunate, self destructive nature of people who are unbelievably um, yeah. Yeah. Talented, talented and creative. It just it's a weird thing that happens to some people.
2: Well, and then they said that he was uh, he moved to the United States at one point, but they actually. Th- Fleetwood Mac was playing in London or something before that. And uh, Danny Kerwin requested an audience with uh, Mick Fleetwood and they, he went to his hotel and talked to uh, Mick Fleetwood for a while. And it turned out that the night before Danny Kerwin had been sleeping under a park bench in a park in London and just, I mean, that's how far he fell.
0: Yeah, I think I think that he, yeah, he was homeless for a little while, and uh, you know, just kind of. I I don't know if that was substance abuse related, or it sounds like, like I said earlier, it sounds like he had already had some demons he was dealing with before. You know, um, um,
2: he was a perfectionist, and he could not handle anybody not being a perfectionist. That's one of the reasons why he didn't get along with Bob Welch so well. well.
0: Well, and and it's funny because we've talked about how talented all these guys were and not to say they weren't, but I think for the most part, um, at least early on, Fleetwood Mac was not about being perfectionists. They were about getting together and kind of, I mean, they had a bit of a loosey goosey attitude about mm-hmm. stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. so that, and that probably rubbed him the wrong way the whole time he was with the band. There's just one thing I think like on the, on the level of a per public service
1: to our fans if you know a child that's considering LSD as a life child a life uh style choice, style choice yeah. I, would, I would heavily recommend that they study the history of Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Any drug, in fact. And uh so much talent got flushed uh by all kinds of uh, crazy drug alcohol things in this band. It's really a shame. Yeah, it is.
0: It is. Um well, and, and just to end, I guess on a on a more pleasant note, is uh, this band ends up regrouping and being massively successful. Yeah, so, I, yeah, well, I've, ma- I've massive, massively successful. I, I think
1: uh, we probably only talked about two bands that are on this level. You know, we got the zip, we got the Floyd, and we got the Mac. Yeah, and uh, I what I'd like to say is it's beautiful when you can. Bring the British and the Americans together. And uh, that's what happened in 1975 when uh, two yeah. joined this band. And uh, I, you know, something that's amazing about that is when when they joined, Stevie Nicks was like the spare tire on the Lindsey Buckingham yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, pickup truck joining. And uh, Mick Fleetwood said, Well, be- before he, uh, you know, Lindsey Buckingham said, if if I come, Stevie's gotta come because mm-hmm. she's supporting him. She'd been a waitress supporting Lindsey Buckingham. They put out an album called Buckingham Nicks, which I have over here, which is good. Uh, not nearly as good as Fleetwood Mac, but uh Lindsay Buckingham says, No, no Lindsey Buckingham without Stevie Nicks. And then Mick Fleetwood says, Well, I gotta talk to Christine McVeigh since she's the other girl, uh lady, excuse me. <clears throat> she's the mm-hmm. other lady in the band, and uh the two of the, those two hit it off, Christine and uh, Stevie hit it off very nicely. And then when they're making that first album, uh, Stevie Nicks is feeling like she really isn't contributing. And she's and uh, Christine says, well, your background vocals are really helping a lot. And I just think that's hilarious. because. <laughs> not long after this, she's one of the few women to enter the Hall of Fame twice. Yeah.
0: Now, I I, uh, only, only one other. I, I find it, I find it, uh, remarkably ironic that in this day and age, uh, Stevie Nicks is saying, uh, there's, uh, there's no Stevie Nicks with Lindsey Buckingham. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's the opposite. Yeah. Anyway, but, yeah. I,
1: I guess she ended up, uh, as far as solo careers, uh, not nobody else got close to her. Yeah. Although, um, one thing I will say is I think, uh, Christine McVay and, uh, uh, lindsey buckingham's voice fit together much better oh, uh, yeah and <clears throat> i know they did make an album called ironically buckingham mcveigh that's funny how stevie felt about that title <laughs> yeah
2: it's almost yeah. like he has the high parts and she has the low part. Well, I think
0: that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Uh, this is the point in the show where we do our review rating of the album. And since this is your pick, Doug, I'm going to ask you last. But I will go to JM first and ask you. We do two, two uh, ratings. One is um, how likely you are to listen to this album going forward. And then the other one is what we think of the musicianship, kind of our critical assessment of it. So jam.
2: All right. So I'm going to go with a four or five on my, my personal rating. I, this is like all Fleetwood Mac albums from this period. It takes more than one listen, but the more that I listened to this album, the more I enjoyed it. I found myself, uh, honey, uh, humming, um, sunny side of heaven quite a bit. And I just love spare me a little of your love. I mean, both of those songs to me just make this album worth listening to. And I just, I, I love the guitar playing on it. And, um, I, I really just think it's fantastic. And I think this is the album where Mick Fleetwood and John McVie, uh, really started jana really hitting their stride so uh, very much love this this album as a critic i'm going to give it a four um that's not i don't want to slide it too much but i'm not sure it's the most accessible accessible of, of albums um it's i could see people thinking it's a little bit um scatterbrained because there's people writing different songs you know got Christine McVee has two songs on it. Bob Welch has two songs on it and the rest are by, um, um, and so those, it, it, it does, it's not the most cohesive album in the world, but I I do think it's a a fantastic album. If you, if you want to delve into Fleetwood Mac pre Buckingham Knicks, um, this is the album uh, I think to, to listen to. Kiln House is second, but this is a, this,
0: All right. Well, thank you, Jam. I'm going to ask me next since Doug, this was Doug's pick. So Tony, what did you think of the album? Well, thank you for asking me, Tony. Um, I, I'm going to give my critical review first. Um, I, it's hard to knock almost anything on this album. Musically Uh, the rhythm section is top notch as we've talked about the guitar playing on it is phenomenal. Um, Even with the three different, writers and vocalists on it for the most part that all works really well from my critical point of view um i think this does this album deserves to be listened to more by people um so i am going to actually give it a four or five um with the exception of the one christine mcvee song that just doesn't quite her vocals just aren't quite right but this you know that um i i still think it's a uh, top-notch musically and and i think will be a surprise to a lot of people who aren't expecting a Fleetwood Mac album, to sound like this. Um, that being said, I don't know how often I will listen to this album. I mean, I'll listen to it, but I'm not going to, this is, this album didn't grab me. I, I was more impressed by the musicianship and less by, Oh, this is a song i really like, and I'll listen to it. So, um, I don't know if that came off when we were talking about it, but I, I really, I was really impressed by a lot of things on this album, musically, um, Again, that just may not be something I would listen to that often. So I'm going to give it a three, eight, um, for my own personal, uh, listening pleasure. That may change. I mean, I'll, I'll, listen to it and it may change as time goes on. Um, you know, Doug and you, you, you Doug and you JM have a lot more a history with this album than I do, but I don't think the schizophrenic part of it uh, for me, critically, that doesn't knock anything off of it. Um, so yeah, that's my take. Okay. Doug. Uh,
1: I'm, I'm going to do uh, personal first. Uh, this is highly, highly subjective because this this album came to my attention when I was so young, and I've had such a long time with it. So I, I think it's going to be about a four six four seven somewhere right there for just how much I like it. Uh, as a critic, I think I'll go four three. And I'm gonna ping it. There's just you know Christy McVeigh singing the wrong kind of song. Yeah. Uh, there's there's as a lyrics guy, when the lyrics and the tune don't match, mm. I I struggle with that. And that happens twice here. Um, and there's 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 some um, lyrics that are just plain not good. Um, and there's times when this. Album sounds like someone needed to take it and do a little work on it and then have the band come back in. And uh, let's say that some of this doesn't make sense. Let's see if we can change this around a little bit. But again, back to my main purpose for choosing this album is that there's a bunch of Fleetwood Mac that people aren't listening to that they should. I, I view this album as an ambassador or six other albums that people should be listening to, uh, and that uh-huh. I mean, they've already heard the Peter Green Fleetwood Mac. If they haven't heard that, and they need to do that too, but this does not represent that at all. So anyway, it's it's a it's a personal favorite, and I think it's a a well a well done album, and it is featuring one of my favorite guitar players. Uh, yeah, That'd it's it's fantastic. it's sad that he would really have liked it if he would have reached the stage where people were inviting him to play on their records and he could have participated
0: a lot more well there's a there's an alter there's an alternate history where he doesn't leave the band and Fleetwood Mac does something else they wouldn't have likely been the megastars they were but I think they would have continued to be very compelling and very interesting
1: i do too and uh, that's something worth mentioning his his departure and bob welch's voluntary departure have a lot to do with the eventual success of Fleetwood. <laughs> um, yeah. They they created the void that allowed uh, Mick Fleetwood to hear Buckingham Nicks in the studio and decide, "Hey, these guys, uh, they might yeah. might be a good a good match." Yeah, and he was right.
2: All right, so Tony, we've come to the uh, part of the show where we try to make a recommendation, and you're the guy that has the pulse on what the kids are listening to these days. So I'm going to turn it over to you and uh, ask you if you have a recommendation for us.
0: You know, whenever you guys say that, I always, I always feel bad if my album isn't within the last three years, this is a 2010 album I'm going to recommend tonight. So I don't know if that counts as what the kids listen to, but it's, it's a, it's actually by a local Austin band. um, Although they're very well known outside of Austin in some circles called the ugly beats Um, and their second album which is called Motor. Um, they are a garage rock band uh, on, if you want to pigeonhole them into something. this second album is really fantastic. It's, it's more of a mix of uh, 60s minor key garage rock and like the more poppier side of the birds. So if, if, if you dig... You know, if you dig 60s rock, you're gonna love this album. There's some real standouts on it. I mean, the whole album is really great, even an in instrumental. Um, but the some of some songs that are worth listening to to kind of whet your appetite are Harm's Way. You say Harm's way is way, don't you see? I say "Harm's um, Way. there's a song called World Has a Way. And then uh an absolute blast of a song called beeline which is also great when they play it live but i these guys these guys are great um like i said they're a local band but um if you haven't heard them pick up the album listen to it. it's really really good, really good stuff You're, I, I promise you you'll dig it.
1: I, I have an observation I'll, I want to share. I've got some exciting news looking at uh, some of the information that we get from the podcast uh, companies and uh-huh. we're doing extremely well. one of the most one of the areas where we're doing really well right now is Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Uh, are you gentlemen familiar with that?
2: I am not familiar. I'm familiar with Nova Scotia.
1: It's a part of our beloved Canada. Um yeah. Dartmouth, Nova Scotia has some very famous people. Um John Paul Tremblay, uh Rob Wells, and a guy named Michael Jackson. Not not uh the guy I, that works on his toes, but uh, a different guy.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, <laughs> they're all from that town. They're they're famous celebrities from that town and maybe. they are in one of a uh, one of the great programs that's available for streaming uh the trailer park boys oh yeah ah yes yeah. trailer park boys i'm i'm excited with the idea that uh maybe one of those trailer
0: park guys has actually heard of us before yeah Might maybe be- they they one. Possibly- Mike- possibly- my guess is they listened to the Rush episode. <laughs> <laughs> and never listened again. Yeah. No, well, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> or
2: the Neil Young but, episode, yeah. I so anyway, the two, uh, two I thought There's, a, good,
0: there's good. a great episode where they kidnap Alex Lyson. <laughs> uh, no, I know. I, I love I
1: I thought that show was so funny. It is and, good. Uh, I wonder if we've ever made that one guy put his drink down. Well, <laughs> <I> mean, because...
2: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for that. Doug and thanks for the recommendation there, Tony. That's it for tonight's show. Be sure and let your friends know about us. Uh, We're available on any of your favorite podcasting platforms such as iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Spotify, uh, wherever you can get your, your
1: podcast. Leave a review. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to thank a lot of y'all that left some very kind reviews. Um, I
2: appreciate that very much. Yeah.
1: When we read a review and we're suspicious that one of us wrote it, that means uh, it's, it's yeah. a kind review and we appreciate that.
2: Yeah. You can also follow us on Twitter at tapping vinyl, or you can email us at tapping vinyl at gmail.com. We also have a fantastic website that's being updated regularly that has um, information that surrounds our, uh, our previous podcasts. And you can also download our podcast from there as well, or listen to it. Uh, we'd love for you to leave us a review or a comment on that show, which you can also do that on that website. We would love to hear from, uh, we would love to hear from you tune in next week. Well, we, will be looking at an album, by one of the more underappreciated artists of the 1970s, some guy that was really appreciated by the Beatles um, and lots of other people. His songs were covered by a lot of other people as well. Harry Nilsson and his album, Ariel Ballet. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two. Can be as bad
1: as one, it's the loneliest number since the number one. Mm-hmm.
2: So, for our host, Doug Cooper, no, our co host, Tony Slagle, and me, your you very humble producer, Jonathan J. M. Rowe, yes, thanks for listening to This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11 and reminding you. We live in a world where paintings have no color and words don't rhyme. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever know.